Hi, Montel here, and I want to welcome you to my new podcast. And each weekday, we're going to focus in on an issue or issues in the news that some that deserve a little bit more attention than the news has been giving. And today, I'm going to be joined with my senior advisor, Mr. Jonathan Franks, who's going to join us. And sometimes he's going to do that throughout our, our daily run of this show. But he's here today especially because we want to dive into this whole concept of defund the police in hopes of getting folks to focus on the details and not just the name. And obviously, we're there, we're going to do this because there's been a sea change across the country after senseless deaths of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. And I think that's a fair, it's fair to give the Black Lives Matter, you know, a lot of credit for actually stepping up to the plate and calling for this movement and forcing the country to have a much more needed, con a much needed conversation about race in America. And I've spoken before about my frustration with the naming and the idea that, you know, calls for rethinking and reimagining what policing is in the terms of defund the police, because it allows critical conversations about race and policing that the Black Lives Matter started to get derailed by you know, conversations in the media by conservative media who took the term defund the police literally. And obviously this isn't something that's literally, it's, it's something that's, you know, when we're talking about defund the police, instead of we ought to, it should be, we ought to rethink and reimagine policing, not just defund policing. So as we have a conversation today, it's important to remember that, look guys, clearly, 95% plus of the police officers in this country are heroes who became cops for the right reasons and make good faith effort to honor their oath of office every single day. And these good officers are stuck working in a system that was built on systematic inequality. And they're really trying their best to do a job at a time when America doesn't really understand what the job is that they want them to do. So, I really want to kind of jump into this conversation and say, you know, though the calls have been, and you can look at the news, as a matter of fact, you can look at a current campaign ad that uh, Donald Trump is running. It says, you know, don't call the police right now because it's a three-day wait or a six-day wait. And if you, you know, have an issue with rape or a break-in or something like that, I'm sorry. But, you know, because people have defunded the police, we don't have any money to come and help you. That's not what this movement was about. It's about accountability. It's about reimagining what policing really could be in America and what it should be. And unfortunately, because the term defund is out there, everybody's glommed on that and not looked at the idea that, yes, it is time in America for us to rethink policing. Absolutely. Rethink it from the ground up. And first thought that I think should come to mind in this conversation is the thought about the fact that who pays for the police? Police are paid for by local tax dollars. They're not funded through a federal grant that makes them a militia in every single city and every single municipality across the country. They do receive federal funding, but that federal funding isn't so that they are a tacit or a, a, a subdivision of our U.S. Armed Forces. The police departments are there to serve and respect and protect the citizenry that paid their checks. And a lot of police officers, I think, need to start right there. And a lot of the people in this country need to start, start and remember that some of those people that police have come down on the hardest 
have paid their taxes every single day when they go to a store to buy a popsicle or they go to a store to buy a candy bar, those tax dollars go to fund the police. And those police officers should respect the fact that the dollars that are coming out of people's pockets are the people that they're expected to protect. If we could remind people across the board about that and therefore remind them that if I spend tax dollars, I should be able to hold those who are using those tax dollars accountable for what they use them for. Is that so hard to understand and so hard to believe? I mean, you know, uh, uh, I, I pick up the phone to dial 911. I expect my two or three cents that I spent yesterday buying a candy bar or, or buying, you know, a soda, those pennies that went towards funding the police department in my local municipality went towards funding them to protect me equally with the dollars that were spent by somebody else down the street. And for some reason, we seem to have, you know, some administrations across the country believing that, you know, it doesn't matter that the funding for the police comes directly out of the pop out of the pockets of the population that they are tasked with protecting and serve and serving. So that's number one. But we also need to have a really good conversation about what does defunding really mean? Now, there's a great article, uh, and this one here is an article that was published by The Cut. It says, what exactly does, does it mean to defund the police? And I'll read a little bit of it to you. As thousands of protesters across the country have gathered to demand justice for George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and other black people killed by the police, a related rallying cry has gained momentum, defund the police. It's an idea that's been popular among activists and critics of the criminal justice system for decades. In the past two weeks though, it's gained unprecedented support and national and media attention. Proponents of defunding argue that the incremental police reform has failed. A better solution, they argue, would be to be more effectively addressed, or would be to effectively address underlying factors that contribute to crime, like poverty and homelessness. This would be achieved by cutting police forces, often astronomical budgets on city level, and reallocating some of those funds towards social services, such as housing and youth services. Some critics dismiss the defunding police as a left-wing fantasy, but the concept is quickly gaining mainstream recognition. And, you know, why is it gaining mainstream recognition? Because it's not a matter of cutting the funding and taking it out of the pockets of the police and just throwing it back into some arbitrary budget spend, but it's also about coming up with programs that actually work to satisfy some of the, the, the needs of those who have been so disenfranchised. I mean, why not? Why is there a reason or what is the reason for, you know, funding militarization of our police department rather than approaching it as an organization that is established to protect and serve? Like, you know, so many police departments across the country, we have police officers who are sent out on calls that are really more of a psychological or psycho 
issue that's happened in the community. You know, you have a police call to a street corner where there's a person who's walking back and forth and screaming out loud and yelling and screaming, and yelling and screaming. And we understand that this person may be in the midst of some sort of a psychological crisis. Our police departments, number one, and policemen, number two, aren't trained as psychiatrists or as psychological interveners. They're trained to protect and make sure that the person that's in harm's way is not going to harm themselves or harm anyone else. And so they show up in a police uniform, gun strapped to the side, and in some cases could be a bigger trigger to those who have been feeling isolated or those who are having some sort of psychological break. That's a trigger in itself that they're being, again, you know, dumped upon. And so why not spend some of that money that we're using on tanks and armored vehicles on having a community-based organization that is embedded within the police department to make sure that they make the first you know, outreach that person who is stuck on a street corner and having, you know, a really bad time and have them show up there, not in uniforms, but in civilian clothing so that they look like they are really there to do what they should be doing. And that's protecting and serving that individual who is a taxpayer also from hurting themselves and hurting others. John, let me get you to jump in on that thought for a second. What do you think about that? I mean, I think First off, you know, the, the, the bigger question has been, what does the term defund the police really mean? What do you think, my friend? I think it's an unfortunate choice of words because it takes a set of reforms that I think a lot of people are now suddenly willing to consider and, you know, allows it to be cast as an absurd idea like banishing the police. And I think one of the most important reforms, people on the right make fun of these social workers, you know, responding to calls. Anybody who has ever had a mentally ill loved one or, you know, a, an addict loved one that's had to make that call, right, knows it's nearly impossible, you know, for the police themselves, right, unless your loved one says to them, I'm about to kill myself, right? There's literally impossible for the police to do much. And then we get into criminal justice issues, making, you know, psychological issues, criminal justice issues. So the idea of the social workers is they come with the police. The police make sure the social workers are okay right? The social workers figure out what to do and, you know, the police help carry it through. And it is a much better position for the police to be in because they're no longer in a framework as a mental health counselor they never signed up for. Absolutely. Now, there are some things that, you know, a lot of people are calling for when it comes to this term disbanding or defunding the police. You know, a lot of communities are talking about abolishing things like unqualified or qualified immunity, and this would lower the bar to citizens holding police officers accountable in civil court. The idea is, is a double-edged sword because it will likely increase the number of lawsuits filed currently to hold a cop of a, a liable for off-duty conduct. One must make a showing that the officer violated clearly established constitutional and statutory rights. But just the fact that we put a badge on someone and give them a gun does not mean that they cannot be held and should not mean that they cannot be held responsible for their actions. And unfortunately, there are so many people who believe that, you know, if a police officer like, you know, in the, uh, you know, uh, George Floyd case, I mean, if a police officer 
you know, uh, kneels down on the neck of a person until he commits murder, this man is still going to qualify for his pension. Excuse me? What? Even the president of the United States has said unequivocally that this was vile what this police officer has done. And, you know, I, I find that strange coming out of his mouth, but he has commented on it directly saying that, you know, this is one of the reasons why he's in some of the trouble that he's in right now is because of one stupid police officer. And it's not, that's not the reason why he's in trouble now. We know that for a fact, but he acknowledges the fact that this police officer was dead wrong. This is a person who should not have done what he did. And the four other officers that were with him should have stepped in and intervened. That's what the crime is here. They should have intervened and said, wait a minute, dude, stop. Eight and a half minutes. That's enough. You got to stop. Stop. Uh, let's put him in the back of the car with handcuffs. The door is shut. There are locks. There's no locks inside, no handles inside. He can't get out. He can't go through the glass in between the seats. So we're protected. What is the problem? And should that police officer and those four on the street be held accountable for their lack of action and what they did? Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, would that tighten up the number of people who decided to, you know, apply for a police job? It might. It might, you know, uh, make people think twice about their idea of whether or not this is a job that they want. But I, I don't think so. I think people are going to step up to the plate and still want to serve as, you know, defenders of, you know, a, a civil society. What do you think, John? So qualified immunity is a court created concept, right? You know, and to fix it, there's going to have to be a law passed, right? Probably at the federal level. And I don't think anybody ever intended for it to allow cops to escape liability for wrongdoing. I think it was trying to trip up and, and, and weed out frivolous lawsuits, right? But it has come to protect cops just a little bit too much, right? Where, you know, the standard is unclear because it's court created, right? It doesn't necessarily work in real life. And, you know, you did make a really important comment right there about the duty to intervene, right? If a police officer sees another police officer violating the constitutional rights of somebody else, they should have a legal duty to intervene and it should be a crime not to. And that might, might have saved George Floyd's life at least. And, you know, but, but, I, but in so many cases around the country, and this is where I said at the very top of this, look, there is no ifs, ands, or buts. And I'm going to say it again, that 95% plus of all police officers in this country, you know, put their hand in the air, take an oath of office, and they really do believe that they are doing a job that is, you know, for the good of the community. And they are going to mm -hmm. step up and try to make sure they protect and serve and protect those people, you know, from, you know, things like home invasion, protect them from like car jockeys and protect them from, you know, uh, 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 people coming in and brandishing arms and trying to rob them in their places of business. That's what they stand up for. But I have questions since day one, why don't that 95% plus good police officers turn around and call out that 5% that's not good? You know, this whole idea and concept of blue wall of silence has got to go. It's time to stop. That blue wall of silence is making your blue uniform dirty. It's allowing you to be cast with those who do so much wrong. 
So why not step up when you're in the locker room changing to get ready for your shift and say, dude, I saw what you did yesterday and I don't appreciate that because that's going to come back and reflect on me. What stops a guy from doing that? We learned that in the military. We've been learning that and been practicing that, I think, you know, 99.9% of the time in the U.S. military from the Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, and Marine Corps. You know, we understand that we are our brother's keepers. And it's because in the battlefield, that brother we're hoping will you know, put his life on the line to protect my life. And I would do the same for his. And, you know, the U.S. military has probably done more for and led the way more when it comes to social activism in recognizing the value of everybody, no matter what their race, color, creed, sexual orientation is. Um, And has done so and led the way since World War II in ways that I don't think most people in the country even understand. You know, the U.S. military is still one of the only businesses in America where you are judged on your support for equal opportunity in a way that will impact your ability to be promoted. There's a block that your supervisors have to check and give you a grade for your support of equal opportunity. You know, tomorrow, if all, if the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff passes an edict that the, you know, the, the, the Confederate flag must come down on all bases and in all locations, well, then there's going to be somebody that's going to walk through a barracks and look at every single locker, look at every single desk, look at every single shoe, shirt, hat that, someone in the military has and says, that's got to go. And the entire military will comply. Boom. You know, there may be a few holdovers that keep something in their locker, you know, that no one will know is there unless they open the locker and and make it visible to someone else. But that's going to go. The idea that the military steps up together and says, I am going to do this for the benefit of my fellow brethren soldier that's something that we've led the way with. And there's zero reason why those that wear uniforms in the civilian world can't do the same. You know, it's for us to police each other. That's what keeps us safe in times of battle. And for police officers to say, well, you know, I'll let that go. I'll let that go. I'll let that go. That's reason why some of this craziness continues to perpetuate. You know, another idea is that we've got to start to rethink this entire concept of bail. Bail, you know, bail was set so the defendants in a pretrial in pretrial confinement were constitutionally entitled to reasonable bail. Bail is about securing the defendant's appearance in court. It's not about a tool to lock poor people up, but nonetheless, there are non-dangerous folks, generally people of color, who are sitting in Rikers Island and in L.A. County Jail right now because they can't make bail. And let's also discuss the fact that bail is a business. It is a business. There are people making lots of money as bail bondsmen, and they are going to fight this tooth and nail to say, oh, no, 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 we need to have bail. Why? Why? I mean, I think the bottom line is, you know, you'd accomplish the exact same thing by releasing a person on their own recognizance and saying, if you don't show up on Monday or Tuesday morning for your, your trial hearing, 
you are going to sit in this cell for the next six, seven months. The majority of people are not going to, you know, hey, a person who sets bail and borrows money from a family member will walk out on that family member just as easily as they'll walk out on the court. So it's not like, you know, you've done something amazing by saying, give me $5,000 out of, you know, $50,000 because you have to put up 5% or I don't know what the, what the, the standard amount is. You know what the standard amount is down around the country? 10%. It's almost, it's usually fixed by law. It's 10%. 10%. So you got $50,000 bail set. So the person has to come up with $5,000. So what do they do? They borrowed from an uncle, aunt, parent, loved one or friend. And then if they were going to skip out on going to court to be sentenced for a crime they committed, they're going to skip out on that $5,000. Believe me, that five thousand. And where does that $5,000 go? Into the pockets of a bail bondman who don't care. You know, they're ready to collect another $5,000 from the next person. So the truth of the matter is it's time now as a society that we rethink this entire idea of bail. I mean, why are we continuing to implement a system that really does nothing but penalize a person, hurt them financially, make it more difficult for them, even if they were to win their case. And in a lot of cases, you know, you look at what's going on right now in California, a state that has, you know, legalized now for years adult use cannabis. And we look in the last two years, there have been more African Americans jailed for cannabis in the state of California. Then before, then or as many as were being jailed before the law changed and allowed for adult use, uh, and all of those who are arrested are probably allowed bail, and out of that, the large percentage of them can't make bail, or and if they do, they make bail, but then have to, have to pay restitution to whoever lent them that money, so they're behind. Even if they're innocent, they're behind and behind and behind and behind and can't dig themselves out of this hole that's just been set up by a system that really was meant to help pay the bills for some of these private prisons that we have across this country, which is another thing that we have to start thinking about. Since when did prison become, you know, a, a monetarily successful business opportunity in America? since we decided to make sure, and when we take a look back, especially at, at incarceration when it comes to cannabis or marijuana violations, over 80% of those that have been arrested and put in jail for cannabis have been people of color. So we have just been utilizing a system to continue slavery that we weren't allowed to use the chains and the whips for, now we're using cells for, and continuing to pay slave owners who own these buildings a wage that is, you know, making people money since when, and, you know, again, look at it across the world. You know, when you look across the world, we incarcerate more people per capita than any other country in the world. And it's, and the majority of those people that are incarcerated make up less than 17% of the total population. I'm sorry. Now 13% of the total population of Americans. And it's really absolutely ridiculous. And another thing that we've, we've just talked about embedding social workers, I want to come back to that, John. There have been several programs across the country that are now showing its efficaciousness by using systems like this. And what do you Absolutely. think about that? Yes. Well, I come to a personal experience as somebody who's been sober 12 years and you know has done a lot of interventions. 
I've sat in a lot of living rooms with a lot of parents who had to call the police, call 911. You know, I can think of one kid that was sitting on his four-story roof threatening to jump off, right? And, you know, you can't shoot your way out of that situation. You can't use an armored personnel carrier to fix it, right? Somebody's got to de-escalate the situation and convince the kid to get off the roof. And I think, you know, psychiatric emergency teams work. They're just not in place in a lot of places, right? And no, it doesn't involve having mental health, you know, workers in danger. That's what the police are for. The mental health workers are to help de-escalate the situation so the police don't have to. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that 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 to me seems like one of the simplest things that we can do, along with another one, which is stop overcharging cases. We have a lot of an epidemic of elected DAs across the country filing inflated charges against defendants, which is fueling our mass incarceration epidemic. You know, it's like, let's pile it on. Let's get that other darkie off the street. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but I'm, I mean, that seems to be the attitude of some of these people. If you can get somebody off the street, put them in a prison, you know, for your homeboy who owns that prison down the street, you know, you're going to get a kickback down the road some way, shape or form, or your sister or your aunt or your uncle who's also employed there is getting a kickback, you know, in some way, shape or form. We need to stop this madness. Absolutely. And like, it's, I'll never forget sitting in an LA County Superior Court, right? The prosecutor at the time was also the mayor of Compton, California, right? He told me, you know, we're friendly. He told me, watch the outcomes of these cases today, right? And you watch the people of color, the people, who, and, and also poor white people too, but people who generally can't afford the lawyers, right? They walk in, they plead guilty to whatever the prosecutors charge them with or whatever first offer the prosecutor gives, and they're done, right? Whereas you see the rich people, right, whether they're black, white, or polka dot, come into court and with $500 an hour lawyers to fight and battle with the DA to get a better charge, right? And all of a sudden you see drunk driving charges for rich people reduced to things like speeding tickets, right? Where the people of color are let off in handcuffs to go serve a sentence. And it's not necessarily, you know, anything other than they know no better. They don't know that they could fight and they don't see it as a viable option. So they just take whatever they're, you know, and it creates this cycle where people are going to prison for things that they don't need to be going to prison for. And then they have a record, so therefore they can't get a job when they get out of prison. It's just a cycle that just continues and continues and continues and continues. And it's time that we stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's so many people that are sitting right now in prison for some of the smallest charges that there are and were originally arrested for some very, very small charge. But then, like you say, the DA then adds on another charge and another charge and another charge. Maybe they turned to the left when they were supposed to turn to the right. And that was called resisting arrest, even though they may not have done it violently, but they just turned in the wrong way because they misunderstood. And that becomes resisting arrest. And then, you know, uh, the fact that they pull their hands back when the police officer put the cuffs on so tight that it hurt their wrist that that was also called, you know, uh, assaulting a police officer. Come on now. Let's, let's start to understand that some of this stuff is just ridiculous and it's really just built in to feed a system that was created to make money off of poor people and people of color at a time when, you know, some couldn't realize how to do that. There's another thing, though, I think that a lot of people want to talk about is, how do we actually change the, the promotion criteria for some police officers? And that is, you know, a police officer that responds appropriately to calls and under framework in, in, in the police department, why are we not promoting and giving those guys, you know, extra little kudos and extra benefits because they decided to bug the system and maybe do something right. You know, there's, there's police officers, there's a police 
systems all over the country. In New York, there's a system where, you know, a group of police have now gotten together to actually go out and it's not a big brother program, but actually created a program where, you know, the police are interacting with youth now and interacting with them in a positive way so that they are actually going out and playing football with them, actually doing tutoring after school, actually interacting with them in a way that takes some of the negative out of the mouths of the youth themselves and teaches them that, you know, there is a better life. And a lot of people laugh at that and think that that's, you know, that's so stupid. That's a waste of police officer time. Uh, any police officer that can interact with a person and stop them from becoming a future criminal isn't a waste of anyone's time. And so, again, as we talk about this idea of defunding the police, let's also talk about what it truly means. It's not defunding and making sure that there's lawlessness in the street. It's talking about holding the money that police departments get accountable. And why should we not be able to do that? The money's coming out of my pocket going into, you know, a budget that if I don't believe that that's being spent the right way, I as a taxpayer and a citizen should be able to have some recourse to be able to say, stop, hold on a minute here, homie, it's time for us to rethink what you're spending this money for. And so, you know, as we look across the country today and we, we listen to cable news pundits all going nuts because someone wants to hold a police officer accountable, I say it's time for you to stop and check yourself. Look in a mirror. What is the reason why we can't hold them accountable? What are you so afraid of? Why do you want to make sure that any person of color that you see the same way that you've done doing for the last now 100 years, trying to switch to this other side of the street, trying to make sure that, you know, you look at them just like the woman who was in Central Park who was walking her dog in an area that, you know, the laws prohibited dogs from being off of a leash. She was breaking the law and called the police and said, just because the person who happened to call her out on it happened to be black, she called the police and said, this man's going to hurt me. This man's attacking me. This man's bothering me. And I'm glad to see that the police department or I'm glad to see that the DA is planning on charging her and has charged her for making a false report. But it saddens me that that was the first thing that came to her mind. And why did that come to mind? Because she recognized that if she just made that false accusation, she would get some darkie out of her face. Let's get to the bottom line here. Stop soft peddling this. She wasn't afraid of the man. The man was had binoculars and was bird watching. She just wanted to exact her white privilege on some darkie. And now it's time that we stop doing that. And I think there are enough people in this country who now finally are starting to agree. So again, the next time you hear the term defund the police, let's start thinking in terms of holding police accountable. That's the terminology that it means. And hopefully using some of that funding for programs that will help register in the constituency's mind that these people are there to protect and serve. And if they had the funding they needed for programs that would help them do a better job at that, I guarantee you, you would see more support for those who are doing that job. 
So thanks so much for tuning in today for a daily dose. I hope this dose at least sparks some conversation in your home, sparks some conversations in that brain of yours. I want you to sit down and think and talk to yourself. Hmm. I don't agree with X, Y, and Z that Mato said, but I understand that we need to start to think. That's what this is all about. I want to say thanks so much for tuning in today. Tune in tomorrow as we tackle yet again another issue. Um,